but in Zephaniah chapter number 3, uh, we're going to start in verse 5, uh, as we read again the same passage, uh, and we'll probably be in that same passage again next week. Uh, it says in verse 5, The just Lord is in the midst thereof, he will not do iniquity every morning, doth he bring his judgments to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. Eu am stăpin națiunile, turnurile lor sunt pustite, ele am risipit străzile, încât nimeni nu trece pe acolo, cetățile lor sunt distruse, încât nu iese niciun om, nu iese niciun locuitor. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. However, I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I arise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. When you look at this passage, uh, last week we talked about how the unbelieving part of Israel would be destroyed. In this passage, next week we'll probably talk about New Jerusalem. Uh, and we may go a little bit further as we look at that. Uh, but tonight there's another side of this part that we didn't talk Uh, and that's where he says, my desire is to gather the nations together and judge them. Uh, we talked about before, uh, earlier in Zephaniah, where he also discussed that he will gather the nations. Uh, and so at that point, We talked about the other half of what this means. Uh, as we looked at him gathering the nations. Uh, and instituting his kingdom. Uh, and setting a principle. Uh, that once per year. Uh, men would have to come to Jerusalem and worship him. Uh, you know, so we discussed what that meant. Uh, and you know, we looked at that side of it. Uh, but 
when we went through those passages, uh, we intentionally left off the other side of that, uh, which is him gathering them to judgment, uh, because we need to talk about that here. What he's talking about here uh, is a judgment where nations will be gathered together and judged by God. Uh, you'll notice that that is something consistently spoken of. In fact, what you'll notice uh, is that most of the passages we have looked at that speak in detail about Christ setting up His kingdom Uh, talk about that he will judge the nations and he will punish those nations he considers wicked that he will destroy them. Uh, and then the nations that are left uh, will be taught his ways. Now, in the Bible, there is a passage that clearly describes that. Uh, and so we will be going there tonight. Uh, and we will spend most of our time there tonight. Uh, and that's Matthew chapter 25. Now, people take this passage and some treat it like a parable when it's clearly not. If anything, this is an explanation to the parable surrounding. Where he has just described uh, one of the parables we preached on in July. Where when the master comes to set up his kingdom, uh, he'll judge. Uh, and he'll separate between those who are really his servants and those that weren't. The other problem with this is that this is probably the only passage that discusses this in detail. It's mentioned in Isaiah 2. Uh, and it's mentioned in... Uh, Micah 4. Uh, and so we may go read where it's talked about in Micah later. Uh, we have read Isaiah 2 multiple times. But in each of those passages, uh, Christ tells us uh, that when he sets up his kingdom that he'll gather the nations uh, to punish the wicked once to judge them uh, and then also in judging them after that he will 
teach the ones that are left his ways. Psalm 82 talks about this actually quite a bit. Uh, but not giving information about the judgment so much as what the judgment will be based on. And what measure will you be judged by? So, looking at Matthew 25, <laughs> uh, and beginning in verse 31, we're going to talk tonight about what's called the sheep and goat judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom uh, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me... Uh, Uh, for I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of those, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Uh, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and he visited me not. Then shall 
Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when shall we see? When saw we thee and hungered, and or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Atunci vor spune și ei zicând, Doamne, când te-a văzut neclămân, sau zetat, sau străin, sau gol, sau bolnav, sau închisoare, și nu te-am sebit. Uh, then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, there are some things you have to consider. Typically, when someone talks about judgment, they tell you there is the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Jesus himself describes that there is a resurrection unto life, a resurrection unto death, a judgment for those that are part of the resurrection of the life. Uh, and a judgment unto condemnation. So the Bible does establish that there are two differences. Uh, even when you read the story in the Bible, that establishes that concerning the judgment seat or, or the great white throne when you read that passage the only people being judged are those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's very clearly a judgment of the lost. Again, I've showed many times Uh, the, the rewards that the Christians are told they will receive uh, at the rapture they already have those uh, by the time you start reading about the story in Revelation 4. When you first see them they already have their crowns and so forth. And they put them down at his feet. Uh, so in terms of those two judgments, you have some explanation as to what they are. Uh, the Great White Throne Judgment gets the most attention. That's the one where we get the clearest information about it. The Judgment Seat of Christ Uh, actually, what we talked about in the Bible study yesterday is most of what's said. So if you weren't here for that, that doesn't help you, but for the rest, you know what I mean. Now, this particular judgment, though, there's one thing that already tells you it's not either of those. This is a judgment of nations. The judgment seat of Christ is when believers will stand before Him and give an account of what they did with their life. 
It's when he says he will reward us according to how we serve. The great white throne judgment is where the lost will stand and give an account of their sins. Both of those in nature are two very different things. But so is this. Let me read uh, verse 31 again. Uh, verse 31 says, And when the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. By itself, this passage is pretty clear that this judgment concerns nations. <coughs> that it's going to be a dividing of nations whether they're sheep or goats. When you pair this with passages I have mentioned, again, especially Isaiah 2, Micah 4, uh, Psalm 89 uh, Psalm 110 uh, when you pair it with those they further emphasize this is about the nations two of them specifically state he will judge nations so that leaves you I think with two main questions if this is not either of the two main judgments we know about, if it is focused on nations and not individual souls, if it's not about rewarding the individual servant or punishing the individual sinner then what is this about? So where is the place and what is the purpose? I think that's the two main questions you should ask when you look at this. Uh, and I think you can find a few answers to it. Uh, so concerning the place of when this judgment takes place and so forth. Uh, I think you find an answer here. Uh, but I think we can also see it in other places as well. Uh, so here we just read... Uh, a few verses that clearly tells us this is when Christ comes to set up his second uh, to set up his kingdom at his second coming. In fairness though, the way it's phrased here could allow you to say well, maybe it's at the end, or maybe it's at the beginning of the kingdom. If you just read verse uh, the verse thirty one. 
But I think when you read the whole thing, you start to get some understanding of when it has to take place. Interestingly enough, the thing that tells you is the punishments involved. Or in some case, the reward involved. Uh, when you look at how he deals with the people that are judged, it gives you some answers. Uh, so let's start by looking again at verse 46. You know, we saw how it begins. Let's look at the last verse. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment with the righteous into life eternal. Now, if you read that, at first, you might think, okay, that means it has to be at the end. There's one problem with that. Revelation has already told us. Uh, Revelation 20, the first verses. That everyone who gets eternal life, everyone who has a glorified body, you know, is raised unto life eternal, that that resurrection is finished at the beginning. Just to show you what I mean. Hold your place here because we have to come back. Uh, but I'll read you some verses we've read several times. In Revelation 20. Uh, and to make it easier, we'll start in verse 3. Uh, as he's casting the devil into the bottomless pit. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a, a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be filled uh, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Și le-a aruncat în capă fără fund și l-a închis și a pus un sigilul deasupra lui, ca el să nu mai ieșe în acțiune până, până se vor împlini ce o mie de ani. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, uh, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, uh, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Și am văzut tronul și ei au cezut pe ele și le-au fost dată judecată. Și am văzut sufletele cele de capitați pentru mărturia lui Iisus și pentru cuvântul lui Dumnezeu și care nu s-a închinat fiare nici icoane sale și nici nu și-au primit semnul pe mâinile lor sau pe mâinile lor și-au trăit și-au domnit cu Hristos o mie de ani. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy uh, is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Și 
Now, verse 4 is the one that's really important. Uh, to the rest of what I'm going to say. Uh, but verse 5 and 6 are what I was just talking about. That we've discussed this multiple times. That there's a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto condemnation. Now, the resurrection to condemnation, if you keep reading the rest of the chapter, takes place after the thousand years uh, when those who will be judged at the great white throne are raised and, re and go to judgment. Everyone who's in that judgment is going into the lake of fire. Now, concerning everyone, though, who are raised unto life eternal, not to eternal condemnation, not to the second death, he says that's done right here. Uh, he says that the resurrection to life is completed in this verse. Now, this is the beginning of his kingdom. Because the next verse talks about how he rules and reigns for a thousand years. Now, we've explained the resurrection of life multiple times as well. Uh, that you have the first fruits, the early rain, the latter uh, So my belief, you have Jesus Christ, the first fruit, first person to be resurrected in a glorified body, the rapture which would have taken place just before Revelation 4 begins, where everyone saved up to that point is resurrected in a glorified body. You have then the beginning of the tribulation period, you have the seven years of tribulation and then you pick up right there in that verse you know, the verse where he says the resurrection of life that's where your latter reign is uh, and again I get those from different passages that I don't have time to go to tonight. I preach that principle in detail in the message about the marriage supper of the Lamb if you want to look it up and uh, watch it. Uh, but the point is this. Then in this resurrection, he says all the believers who died during the tribulation period. And if you read that verse, you could put with it everyone who's still alive at, the, at this point. Uh, who's not received the mark of the beast, but the trust in Christ. Uh, and he says at that point uh, that they will receive their glorified bodies. 
So again, you say it's not the rapture because this is only the people from the tribulation period. You know, nu este rapire din cauza că aceștia sunt doar oamenii care sunt a trecut prin anii de necaz. Ah, and so there's your timeline. Și aici este timpul. The point, though, remains as this. Everyone who's being raised unto life eternal, whether it be Jesus and His resurrection, you know, that He received the glorified body, whether it be the Old and New Testament saints receiving their glorified body at the rapture, or whether it be the tribulation saints that He says are raised here, it's all done at that point. So since the reward He says He gives to the righteous, și că spune că răsplată odăcilor drepți că este viața eternă Uh, that means at this particular point is when that judgment would also have to be being done. There's another thing to take into account here too. The only judgment that takes place after this is the great white throne. There is, however, a mention about judgment in the passage we just read. He says in verse 4 that all the saints that at that point are there and this is before the other ones are raised uh, he says all the other saints uh, will be set in judgment. So it would seem that there is a judgment taking place there. So I say at that point, the punishment or reward in this case uh, seems to indicate when it takes place. Now in terms of those that he cast out, he says that he cast them out into everlasting punishment. Here's the thing though. He describes hell that way. So that's not saying that he's judged them and put them in the lake of fire yet. Uh, I mean, if he destroys them, uh, then they go to hell and wait after the thousand years to be judged and go to the lake of fire. Let me even just give you an example of what I mean in that. When Christ comes back and he takes the Antichrist uh, and he takes the false prophet, it says he will cast them into the lake of fire alive. And here's where some people make a mistake. And I've even done it myself. Uh, we say that his followers also get cast in. But if you pay close attention to the wording, only those two get cast in the lake of fire. The rest are 
destroyed. He says that he kills them. He, says he crushes them in the wine press of his wrath. Uh, and leaves that big field of blood we've mentioned several times. So in that case, they're just going to hell. Until after the thousand years. Where they'll finally get to stand and give an account of their sins and be judged. So again, when we look at the punishment, that seems to tell us where it's going to be at. I'll even point out something else about it. When you look at what he says to them earlier in Matthew 25, what does he offer to the sheep collectively? To the nations that he says, okay, I'm not going to destroy you. What does he collectively tell them they get? Well, verse 34 says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from uh, the foundation of the world. Well, the kingdom is a thousand years. So, it can't be after. Simply because of that. I mean, even that answers it even more easily. That what he's doing right here is he's lining up the nations and there's some of them he says you're so wicked you're just going to be destroyed then there's the other that he pushes to the side here and he says you're going to get to enter into my kingdom but here's the thing that's interesting about that when he says he gives eternal life he says it's to the righteous he doesn't refer to the sheep collectively as being the righteous he refers to them collectively as those that are on my right hand he does refer to the goats collectively though as being cursed as being condemned already to judgment uh, look at verse 41 then shall he say also unto them on the left hand depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels so here you have him taking everybody on the left hand all of those nations and telling them collectively that you're going to be destroyed you're going to hell. You're all cursed to this. However, those on the right hand he tells them collectively you're going to enter into my kingdom. The righteous, though, is not what he calls them. The closest he comes to calling them collectively as being the righteous uh, 
uh, is in verse 37 when it says, The righteous ask, Well, when did we do this for you? So you can form your opinion of what that means. But here's something you have to account for. If this is at the beginning of his kingdom, and he's taking everyone that he has already said, you know, I'm done with you, you're being destroyed. And he's destroying them. Then he's offering to what he calls the righteous eternal life. You know, he's resurrecting the, the dead and so forth. Because we already see that is what happens at the beginning of his kingdom. Well, at the end of his kingdom, at the end of the thousand years, the devil has deceived, he deceived somebody. He deceives nations again. Here's why I think he doesn't call the sheep collectively the righteous. These nations here are the Sodom and Gomorrah. The nations that don't meet the measurement enough to let them continue. That as he's going to start his kingdom, these are ones that he's just done with them. In fact, if we look back to Zephaniah, he says these are nations that I've already tried to correct them. And like that part of Israel we talked about that he's saying, that unbelieving part, these are the nations he says, look, I, I, I've given you every chance, but I'm done. Over here, though, these are nations, it's not individuals. I mean, some of you come from a big family. You can understand this better. Maybe than somebody who comes from a small family. Just because maybe you come from a family where most of them are believers. That doesn't mean all of them are. However, if he's judging based off of the families, and he looks at this family over here and says, you know, you're beyond, I'm done with you, I'm, throwing, I'm, I'm destroying But if he looks at his other family and he's judging based off of the family and he's not making judgment for the individual, and he says, look, I know you got that one cousin, but the rest of you, you know, you're doing good enough. So you're going to enter my kingdom. So that one cousin goes with you, he's part of the family. So if this is a judgment of nations and not of individuals, there are nations being completely wiped out because collectively as a nation, they're too wicked. The ones who are being left, though, are nations that are collectively, God says, you know, you're good enough to go in. 
Because this judgment is not about salvation. There's a huge proof of that. The measurement is not their belief in Jesus Christ. The measurement is what have they done to the least of people. What does he tell them? He said, so much have you done it to the one of the least of these. So in this side, of course you have plenty of people who believe on Jesus Christ. Plenty who would be part of that resurrection that's about to take place there. But you also have plenty of people who don't. They just happen to be part of the nation that was deemed good enough to enter in. That's why he doesn't refer to them collectively as being righteous. Uh, he refers to them collectively as the sheep that are over here on my right hand. That's why collectively the reward is you get to go into the kingdom. But collectively as a group the reward is they get to go into the kingdom. Individually though the righteous are given their glorified bodies. You don't have to agree with me, but that is the most logical and biblical answer I can give you. So we see the punishments mentioned confirm the timing. Uh, but also, I told you we would read Micah 4. So Micah is a few, ver few books before Zephaniah. <coughs> but Micah chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 through 3. Because I want you to see just a little bit that the prophecy also confirms the timing. Uh, in verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the Lord uh, shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, uh, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Și multe națiuni vor veni și vor spune, veniți să urcăm pe muntele Domnului și la casa Dumnezeului Iacov și El ne va învăța despre căile Lui și, și noi vom merge pe căile Lui, fiindcă Regea va ieși din Sion și Cuvântul Domnului din Ierusalim. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Uh, nations shall not lift up a sword against another, neither shall they learn war anymore. Și el va judeca pe mulți oameni și va mostra națiuni puternice de departe. Și ei își vor bate din săbii fiecare fiare de plumb și din sulițele lor prăjini de curăța Nu va ridica națiune sabia împotriva alte națiuni 
So even the prophecy, <coughs> as I've mentioned multiple verses tonight, uh, tells you that at the beginning of his kingdom uh, is when he will gather the nations to this judgment. Because he very plainly says he's going to gather together the nations there and judge. So at this point, we can see the judgment of the sheep and the goat. Uh, is that the nations will be gathered uh, and they'll be separated that way in preparation for Christ's kingdom. So for the most part, you even have your second question answered. What is the purpose? What's the purpose of this judgment? Now, if you go back and read from verse 34, 35 to verse 40, he talks to you about judging the sheep. <coughs> and he tells them that I'm going to tell you to, you know, to, uh, to, that you get to enter into my kingdom. What is the measurement of the nations that get to enter his kingdom? He said that you took care of the least of people. You know, he said, in that you've done this to the least. So he's talking about taking care of people in general. Uh, but there's an emphasis on taking care of the least of people. You, know, you clothed the naked. You fed the hungry. You visited those that were in prison. Uh, you took care of the poor. Uh, you know, he gives you this list of things. What puts the other side together? What puts the people on the left side? What makes them call a nation a goat? That's going to be cast into judgment that was made for the devil and his angels. He said that you didn't do these things. So again, this makes it very clear that this judgment has nothing to do with salvation. <coughs> salvation has always been by grace through faith. Uh, it's not about your works. So with that in mind, there are two things I want to say. And I think I assume we can get out at a good time. Because last week I kept you very late, this week I'll get out on time. Matthew, or let me start with Psalm. Psalm 82 tells us that because Jesus Christ is going to judge the nation, this is one of those psalms that are warning you that one day the king is going to set his feet upon the whole earth. Uh, that for Jesus all things are going to be put under his feet. 
For Jesus, all things are going to be put under his feet. He's going to be king over everything. Uh, and that at that time, this psalm specifically tells us he's going to gather nations to judge them. But the main focus of this psalm is what should you do with that in mind? What does he tell them? He tells the nations to be careful that you take care of the poor. That you take care of the least of people. However, I think something Jesus himself said in Matthew 18 uh, actually gives an even deeper idea. Let's read Matthew 18. In verse 3. Uh, through verse 6. Matthew 18.3. Uh, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Uh, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, uh, believe me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. In this passage, he's talking about his kingdom. Uh, and he's talking about the importance that each of you individually humble yourself like a child if you're going to come. Now, in this day, there is a whole separate message I can preach to you about. That. And I did back in June. Uh, when you believe in Jesus Christ, he says his kingdom is in you. The same way that each of the Romanians here tonight, you're Romanian. That's your citizenship. No matter how long you choose to live here in Belgium, you are Romanian. That's your home. Uh, in terms of home countries. It doesn't have to be. Uh, that's dependent upon you. Uh, but that's your citizenship. It's irrelevant where you live, that's your citizenship. You know, I'm an American, that's my citizenship. It's part of who I am. Uh, in spite of the fact that I currently live here. So, in terms of being part of his kingdom, if you're saved, you are part of his kingdom. In fact, he's just told you that 
you will have already been resurrected at that point. And when he judges this nation, you'll be set with him in judgment. So of course you're part of his kingdom. Uh, so that's how the message I can apply it to you right now. But since this judgment right now we're talking about is about how nations can get into his kingdom. Not you individually. There's an application for that as well. He's telling nations that if you want to get in the kingdom, you need to humble yourself. But in the same thought, he says if somebody would even hurt one of these little ones, in the context of talking about his kingdom, he says it's better off for you that you had had a stone tied around your neg and you were thrown into the lake and drowned. So the point is this. This idea that the nations being judged are judged according to how they treat the poor and the orphans and so forth. It's not strange. I mean, I don't want to get into this too much because a time and other reasons, uh, specifically that we are going to talk about in a few weeks in Bible study. But even he tells us that pure religion and undefiled before God will take care of the widows and the orphans. So, something to understand about this is essentially what Christ is doing. The best comparison I can make to it is something God has already done. Before Israel could possess Canaan land, those nations that were evil, the nations that God had given them plenty of time to accept Him, plenty of time to accept or leave, hundreds of years, uh, and they never did. I mean, these nations that had at least the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness to leave or repent. Before God could set up a kingdom or a country there where He Himself was their king. Because that's what happened in the nation of Israel. God started a country where He was the president. He was the king. Uh, before he could do that, he drove out all the others. Why did he drive them out, though? Because of some of the abominable sins that they had committed. 
Uh, because of idolatry. Because idolatrie. Because of child sacrifice. I mean, all of these kind of ideas. So what does that mean? It means when Christ sets his kingdom here on earth. That before he lets the kingdoms enter in. There is what... I call a culling process, but I don't know a good word for you to translate that. Culling, where you throw away the stuff you don't want. Uh, it's where he takes those nations. And if I can make some application from this. Those nations where people are treated like nothing. Where the poor are treated like slaves. I mean, he's not measuring them on how spiritual or how good they are so much. I mean, the measuring stick's pretty low here. He's saying just don't treat people like they're trash. So those nations where the poor are taken advantage of. Those countries where you have children working in factories till they die. Those countries that have the ability to help, yet they have people starving to death on the streets. <coughs> countries where they will just take the 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 bad people, let's say that, the criminals, and stick them away in a corner instead of actually doing anything to help them. But I'll take it even to this step. Countries where the smallest and most innocent of life are not protected. Countries where babies are not considered to be life. But instead a burden that you can choose to get rid of when you don't like it anymore. God says for all of them they'll be destroyed before the kingdom ever starts. He's not even going to leave a place for them. Everybody tries so desperately to fit America in prophecy. I'll help you out and do it. If they are alive till the end of this period, they're probably going to be standing over on the left hand with China and those other countries. Where babies are murdered like it's no problem. Where the poor are oppressed and treated like trash. And the lowest of people are treated like they are nothing. Because that is the measuring stick here. Don't tell me that a country that the number one cause of death is abortion. Uh, is somehow going to be standing over here on this side. Don't tell me those countries 
that take even here I would say that they take the elderly and line them up for euthanasia they tell them it's your choice but I've seen enough of what they do uh, that they almost sign the paper for you that God's going to look at that and say this is exactly the kind of king that nations I want to make up my kingdom you look at these nations where the poor people are treated as slaves. Babies are treated as burdens to be murdered. <coughs> the elderly are burdens to be murdered. Criminals are just, you know, pushed over here in a corner and ignored. Uh, and when you take that as the measuring stick, those nations, he said, if they make it up to this point, that if that's the kind of nation you are, where life has no value to you, you'll be on the left hand. Uh, because this is again a judgment of nations. So if you want to know where a lot of nations fit in judgment, if you want to see where they're at in prophecy, I'm going to say it's on the left hand or the right. Uh, and the measuring stick is how they value life. It's what they do to the least of people. Uh, because that is the point of this judgment. Just like Canaan had to be purged before God was willing to set up a nation where he was the king. Before he sets up his kingdom here, he was going to purge this world of nations. That he considers to be evil in this cause. So, if nations want to be shown mercy, they have to humble themselves. They have to get pride out of the way uh, and learn to listen to what God says about the value of life. If you go back to Micah, he says he's going to destroy powerful nations from far away. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, that's one country or another. No, I'm saying that that means there is no limit to who this includes. Well, you're talking about a powerful nation like China or like America. If they have no value for human life like these nations do. Then they'll be standing on the left. 
Because again, at this point, rapture's already happened. So if you want to argue to me that there's, well, there's still plenty of good people in America. Not at this point that America would be Sodom after Lot has left. You take out the Christians? Give them seven years to further in their wickedness? Into a nation that a, a considerable portion already wants to kill every baby they find? Well, you understand why they'll be on the left hand. And if I can say that about my country, be honest about your own. 